Hello, and welcome to the Church on the Hill podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, we invite you to join us live this Sunday at 500 Sands Drive in San Jose, California. Visit churchonthehill.com for service times and directions, and also to learn more about connecting, growing, and serving at Church on the Hill. Now let's join lead pastor Scott Simarok as he teaches at Church on the Hill. Y'all ready? Well, if you're ready, you got a Bible open, all right? I'm just saying, you got to have that open digital paper. If you didn't bring one, there's one in front of you. You know what? You might not even have a Bible at home. If you don't, grab one out of the chair in front of you. Take that with you, your Bible. We will replace that. We'd rather you have it uh, than not have it. So we're talking about uh, how do you give glory to God? And there's something that actually afflicts every single one of us. It doesn't matter how great you are. It, it, this truly affects every single one of us. And so let me just prove it to you real quick. Uh, if you have an Amazon account, there's a little button on there that is for your wish list. So as you browse through Amazon and all the wonderful things out there that you can purchase online and then have a blue truck roll up and deliver right to your doorstep, you can actually, if you don't want to buy it right away, you just click on my wish list, right? If you opened your account and you clicked on your wish list, question, is there anything for anyone else in your wish list? Why are you laughing? Because there's not. I mean, there are some moms out there that you're like, oh, this would be good for Junior and Sally and like your kids, right? Maybe you think of them. Dads, we don't though. That's mom's job. Our list is all for us. And if you, I mean, if, if someone asked me, what do you want for your birthday? I'd be like, well, my Amazon wish list is all right here. By the way, you know why my wish list isn't longer? Because I already bought it for myself. <laughs> Don't laugh. You know that's true for you too, right? And the reality is this, is if, if someone said, oh, what does your wife want for her birthday? I'm like, oh, mm, it takes me a little bit because I'm just confessing right now, all right? My, my Amazon wish list is all about for my glory. It is all about me. And maybe if I'm really smart or thinking about something, maybe, just maybe, I might have something for my kids and my wife in there, maybe like one or two things. But the 20 other things, they're all about me. Now, uh, that's putting on a pretty bottom shelf. Let me, uh, let me explain this a little more technical terms. If you took a, a Psych 101 class in high school or college, you probably ran across Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of need. It looks like this right here. Abraham Maslow, in, in psychology, this pyramid here is used to describe how you pursue a fulfilling life. And what you do is you start here at the very bottom with your physiological needs. So if you want a fulfilling life, Maslow would say this. You start at the bottom with the basic essentials of life. Oxygen, food, water, sleep. He actually puts sex in this category as a basic necessity of life, and I can just appreciate that. And then he goes on to safety and security. I'm not following that comment up with anything. Just, he goes on to safety and security, right? This is, I mean, you need a place to live. You need protection. You need job security. Uh, you need resources. You need to have security in your health. And when you have that, then you move on to the third level, which is about love and belonging. You need family. You need friends. You need connection with people. And then after that, because you have all of that, then you move to this next step up, number four, which is about building your self-esteem through recognition and achievement. It always seems to make some logical sense, right? And then the final fifth step is about self-actualization. 
You really become who you were intended to be, living this fulfilling life by this. Your professional potential, living it out, discovering new ideas, and getting affirmation for this role that you have. Now, this makes a lot of logical sense. Like, well, if you can't breathe or eat or sleep, the basic necessities, you should start there and just kind of work your way up the chain. Um, There are a couple problems, though, with Maslow's hierarchy of need. Uh, The first is this. It doesn't take into account our human capacity to turn our wants into needs. This is what I mean. You're like, oh, I have to have a place to live. So you, you moved into this 700 square foot condo or apartment, right? And you're like, oh, I have security, right? I mean, this is my 700 square feet, my space. There's a lock on the door, locks on the windows. I'm safe. I have it. And then you looked around after a while and Amazon delivered so much stuff to your house that pretty soon you went, oh, I need more because you just don't have enough space, right? And the thing that you needed, you're like, oh, it's never enough. And so now we want something more. So you moved into that glorious 1,300 square foot house. And pretty soon Amazon delivered some more stuff to your house. And you're like, this 1,300 square feet, I need more. Do you see what I'm doing? We all do this, right? Our wants somehow become our needs. And so Maslow's hierarchy, it doesn't take into account that, you know what? We just decide, I just need more and more and more. Second problem with Maslow's hierarchy of needs, there's no God here. God doesn't fit into this. Maslow is an atheist. Some would say, well, that self-actualization, that really is about God. Um, Well, let me create a bigger problem for you. Jesus blows up Maslow's hierarchy when he says something like this. Jesus talking about all the, the needs that people have, like clothing and food. And then he says this in Matthew 6. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body. What you will wear is not life more than food. That's a great question. Is not your life and my life more than food and the body more than clothes? And then he draws this conclusion. Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Let me translate this for you. Jesus says this, you want a meaningful life? You want a fulfilling life? You want to know who you really are? You want to reach your full potential? Then at the very base level, even more important than food, is that you know the living God and you seek him with all of your heart. And all those things in life, God will take care of. So it brings us to our point today. You and I were actually designed to live for God's glory, not our own. But instinctively, I think we put ourselves first. I think you could probably come up with your own list of examples, but here's where we're at today. We're going to finish up our series in the five solas. The word solas means only or alone. So we've talked about this. Here's the five non-negotiable truths of the Christian life. And there's more than five, but these are just five that came to us from the Reformation in the 16th century when we were known as protesters, which now we're known as Protestants. So the five solas. If somebody asked you this question, let me just summarize the whole thing for you. If someone asks this question, what's the gospel? I mean, what's the good news of God? You could answer this way. We're made right with God by this, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, as revealed in the scriptures alone, and here's this week, all for the glory of God alone. So today we're going to talk about the glory of God alone. And I mentioned that all those, those five solas came to us from the 16th century. Actually, only four of them did. 
The last one about the glory of God, we didn't, there's really no writings about living only for the glory of God alone that comes out of the Reformation. It was actually maybe 150 years uh, after Martin Luther and the whole Reformation. Um, you know the, the name Johann Sebastian Bach, famous composer? Johann Sebastian Bach is considered one of the greatest composers, composers of the Western world. He's a German Lutheran composer. So he grew up a hundred years in the shadow of, of Martin Luther and the Reformation. So he works composing music, actually for churches. And then government officials, emperors would hire him to, to compose music for them as well. But you might not know this, Bach actually had a method for composing. He would sit down to write with these empty score charts in front of him. And in the upper left-hand corner, he would write the initials JJ. You'll see one behind me. That red arrow points to this JJ, and it stands for this, Yesu Yuva. You know what it means? It means Jesus help. Jesus, would you help me? Before a single note goes on the page, he pauses and writes, J.J., Jesus, help me. May the thing that I'm about to do be through you, for you. Would you help me compose something that is a masterpiece and beautiful to you? You might not know this, that once the masterpiece was created, at the end of the, the, the composition, the initials would go on the score and it would say S-D-G. You know what it stood for? Soli Deo Gloria. It's Latin for this. To the glory of God alone. Jesus, because you helped me, that everything from the beginning, from the, the, the beginning of the JJ to the SDG, I pray that everything between those two initials would be for the glory of God alone. That's how he composed. Isn't that an interesting concept to say, I wonder what if it would look like if we lived our lives that way. That we woke up in the morning and we said, Jesus, help us. JJ, I'm going to start my day with the initials JJ, Yesu, Yuva. Jesus, help me that this day I might actually give glory to you. And what would it look like at the end of the day if we looked back and said, God, I can honestly sign my initials to today that said, I lived for the glory of God alone on this day. Because every day we're writing our own story, right? But if we're living for the glory of God alone, we're letting him write our story for us. I want you to um, take a look at where it is that we're getting this from. And I will admit this right from the beginning. You ready? The word glory is just tough to talk about. Because it's really tough to understand. Um, let me prove this to you. I'm going to read you two verses. The word glory is going to show up five times. And you're probably not going to understand any of it. You ready? In Second uh, Corinthians 3.10, it says this. For what? Oh, by the way, he's talking about the Old Testament. And what God gave us in the Old Testament and now what we have in this covenant relationship with God in the New Testament. So he writes this. For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Aren't you blessed? I know you do this. If you read the Bible and you sit down on your own and you read it, I know what you do. You do what I do. You just keep reading. Like, I don't know what those verses mean, but I'm going to keep reading and hope that somewhere along the, the way it, it, it makes a little more sense to me. So here's what I want to do today. I'm going to run through this quickly, but I want you to see what the word glory means. 
Because it's not just one single simple definition like, oh, it means this, and then you can apply it to your life. No, it's a complicated word. It's used very differently. Most of these are going to be from the New Testament, so I'm going to show you what glory means. Let me run through this. Here's just seven things. What does glory refer to in the Bible? The first is this, and you have, if you have your notes, write this in. The radiance and light of God. I'm going to teach you a million-dollar word. Ready? Say this word. Theophany. Oh, that was, that was really, really good. That was impressive. You said it like you knew what it meant. Theophany. It's made up of two words. Theos, meaning God, and thenane, to show. God, show. Theophany is this. It's when God shows up and shows off. Think of this, Moses and the burning bush, right? God does this cool thing. He shows up. He makes his presence known. He's communicating that he's present and with Moses. You would call that a theophany. It's where God shows up. In the Old Testament, it's like the burning bush or when God leads his people out of Egypt, right? By day, he leads them by a pillar, a cloud, and by night, by this pillar of fire. Um, When Moses went up to meet with God, do you remember what he looked like when he came back down? It says that his face glowed because he had the glory of God. Glory in the Old Testament, oftentimes it was about God's light and his radiance. Now, in the New Testament, remember Jesus is born and the shepherds are out in the field at night and the angels show up and they were, they showed up in the, the glory of God. It's, it's this light or, or this radiance that, that really shows up when, when God shows up. So here's the second thing. We also use the word glory to talk about how we praise God. Uh, Revelation 19.7 says this, Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. Now that can't mean radiance and light. I mean, Mike over here, he's like, I'm going to praise God. I'm going to sing praise songs to God. I'm giving him glory. Is Mike giving God light? Is he giving him radiance? Of course not. What he's doing is he's recognizing the goodness and the power and the majesty of God. And we say we give God glory through that. So there's another meaning to this. It's number three is the presence of God. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, And we all who with unveiled faces, meaning you're, you're, you're face to face with God, you're with him, we contemplate the Lord's glory. This description, it's about Christians who actually are sitting still in the presence of God and going, God, who are you? And I'm running through the scriptures or I'm reading them in front of me about how good he is and his character. You're, you're actually, you would say it this way, I'm sitting in God's glory. I'm paying attention to who he is and his character and his goodness. So God's glory in that case is actually the presence of God. So you can sit in God's glory. You can live in God's glory when you're just aware of his presence with you all the time. Here's the fourth thing. It's the power of God. God's glory is also the power of God. Listen to this. This might blow you away. Uh, Romans 6, 4. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the... Christ was raised from the dead through the what? The glory. What? what? No, 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 no. What would you expect to read right there? Christ was raised through the, the power of God, right? It says through the glory of God because glory refers in this instance to God's power. Glory can also mean this. It's the honor that we show God. 
Paul was actually uh, writing to a church and describing, listen, I know there's food in your community that has been offered to idols and Christians. Some people get offended when you eat it. And so he, um, he's talking about this conflict. And so he writes this, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And then the first part of it, we're like, whether we eat or drink, like, so I'm going to have lunch for the glory of God. No, he was talking about this whole religious thing that was a conflict in the church. But I don't think it takes away the principle at the end that says, whatever you do, do we actually do it all for the glory of God? Do we start our day with the initials JJ, Jesus help me? And do we end with SDG? Do we actually live throughout the day all for the glory of God alone? Um, the sixth thing that the glory of God is, it's actually our new image that we are becoming, if you're a Christian. It's this new image that you're becoming in Christ. Um, I get this from 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, we, we just read that, are being transformed. You're being changed into his image, into God's image, into Jesus's image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. So here it is. Every Christian, every true Christian is being transformed and changed to become more and more like Jesus. And Paul writes that our transformation is with ever-increasing glory. So glory is actually, did you know this? You have glory. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have this glory about you. What is it? It's the image of God. It's the character of God. So that you start loving more like he loves. You start responding more like he responds. You start thinking more like God thinks. It's this transformation. And when that happens, your image, it says, is taking on more glory. Here's the last one, number seven. Glory is also about this future expectation that we have. It's about a future experience in heaven. Second Corinthians 4.17 says, For our light and momentary troubles that we're having today are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. When we get to heaven, the experience you will have with God and the person you will be transformed into is described as Glory. You'll be in God's presence. There, there's something about this experience that'll be more glory than you'll ever know. You will be transformed into a glorious body to experience a glorious existence with God. So congratulations. You made it through all seven definitions, and that's not probably all of them. Those are just seven. That's all I want to take the time to do. But you know what I didn't do? I don't think I actually helped any of us. Because if I said this, would you go and live for God's glory? today. How would you do it? I mean, how would you actually know that you're, you're doing it? I'm actually going to give you four things that I think are four steps that you can take so that you know you're actually living for God's glory and not your own because it's so tempting and it's so subtle for us to slip into a me-centered life. Would you agree? So let's take a look at this so that you and I collectively as the, a church that we can live this out. Here it is. Number one, if we're going to live for God's glory, it begins with this. It begins by focusing on the mission of helping people find Jesus. Let me prove this to you where I get this from. It's in John 17. Um, would you do this? Open to John 17 real quick. I want you to see this. Underline it because if you might read it on the, on the screen here. But the problem is you probably shouldn't trust me with this. Because it's, um, there's a pretty fantastic statement in here that if I were you, I would highlight this. I would underline this. So Jesus, the night before he dies on the cross, 
He's praying for himself. So he's talking to his father. And this is what he says in verse 4, John 17, 4. He says, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Father, I've done it. I've lived in such a way that I've brought you glory. I've made you known to people by finishing the work that you gave me to do. And what was the finished work? It's the night before his death. He's going to go hang on a cross and die for the sins of the world so that people can be forgiven. They can be in relationship with God that very day. And in that relationship with God, they can also have an eternity with God that's described as glory. And he says, Father, I've given you this glory. And then in this prayer, then Jesus actually prays for his, um, the 11 disciples that are still there. One has gone AWOL. And then his prayer expands and he says this. He says, I want to pray for all the people who will believe in me in the future. Verse 20, look there. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. It's you and me, right? This is what Jesus prayed for you. I have given them the glory that you gave me. Jesus says, for everyone who will ever believe in me, I have given you glory. Kind of important to figure out what that means, doesn't it? Well, how did Jesus give his father glory? God, you gave me an assignment. You gave me a mission. You told me to carry this out. Make your name known. And I'm going to die on a cross. That's the mission you gave me. What's the mission that Jesus then hands to us so that we will live in glory? What's the mission of the church? It's to make disciples. It's to make him known. Earlier he made the statement, this is what gives my father glory, that you bear much fruit. You want to give God glory with your life? Here it is. He gave us an assignment as a church. By the way, he's not praying for one individual here. This is not about your individual accomplishments in the kingdom of God. This is collectively about the accomplishments of a group of people called the church. Do we as a church help people find Jesus and then grow to maturity in him so that they can join us on the mission? It's not about filling seats in a room. It's about the transformation of people's lives. You want to live for the glory of God? If you're like, you know what? I just really want to live for his glory. But that whole mission thing, the whole thing about helping people find Jesus, I'm just not really down with that. I'm just not really that good. Then you will never, ever live for the glory of God. I mean, such an interesting question. Students who on your campus will come to know Jesus this year because of you. Now, be careful how I say that, right? Because of God working in you and working through you. Who on your campus? I mean, it's a tough place, right? Majority of students there, they don't care. Who's going to come to Christ? Because you're going to say, Jesus, help me every day. At the end of the day, you're going to say, I did, I did my best under the power of Jesus to live for the glory of God. So who's going to come to know him because of you? That's what it means to live for the glory of God, first and foremost. In your senior living area that you live, in your complex, who's going to come to know Jesus? Because their timeline's probably a lot shorter than some of those students. They're on the five yard. They're going in for the touchdown of life, right? Where will they land? Some of you at your workplace. Who's going to know who God is, who Jesus is? 
because you live there. That's about living for the glory of God. And Jesus says, I gave them the glory that you gave me. Jesus accepted a mission from his father. And he says, the mission I pass on to you now, here's what's so good. It doesn't mean that you ha- your mission and Jesus' mission isn't the same. He died on the cross so that we don't have to. He paid for our sins. Your mission is just to go offer the gift to people. That's a way easier mission than the one that Jesus took on. Amen? But because he took on his mission, we're saved. We live in the presence and the glory of God today with a hope of eternity that we live in his glory forever. So how do we do that? How do we make some strides in that? The Apostle Paul, he was writing to a church, and his main message was this, I want you to live for the glory of God. But it's interesting because he writes out a prayer about what that looked like, and I want to show it to you. Um, Go to uh, Ephesians chapter 3. In Ephesians chapter 3, he has this prayer. Let me go there as well. Chapter 3, verse 14, he says, For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name, and I pray that out of his glorious riches, here it is, isn't that a great word again? Out of all God's glory, out of all his goodness, out of all his power, out of all of his character, I pray that out of his glorious goodness, his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. How do we bring glory to God? It begins with this, by being filled up with God. Paul's prayer was this, I hope that you will somehow sit in the glory of God and get to know him to such a degree that he fills you up with his hope. He fills you up with his character. So that there's a transformation happening. Because if you think you're a Christian, oh, I pray that prayer and I'm a Christian and I believe and your hope is heaven, you're just kind of killing time between now and then. That's not giving God glory. And maybe you might think you only got a little bit of time left. You're like, man, I've kind of been doing this my whole life. I'm older now. I'm kind of done. What kind of glory can I do from here to there? I'm just waiting till the end. Can I say that, oh, oh, I love you, and I hope this isn't offensive, but that's foolishness. Whether you have 10 days left, or you're a high schooler and you think, oh, I got 50 years left. Wasting a day to not start with Jesus, help me, so that I can live for the glory of God, is wasting the very life that God's given you. He's saying, I want you to know my love so deeply that it transforms me. I think this very context described as this. It's experiencing his presence every day by seeking his face. If you've been around this church for a long time, you've heard me say this before. We want to seek the face of God. Because in someone's face, you look into their eyes, that's when you know them. 
That's how they reveal who they are. You look into somebody's eyes, you can tell when they're sad. Why? Because that's where God put the tear ducts. I think he did that intentionally. You can tell when there's joy because there's sparkle in their eyes. See, the problem is this. We don't really seek the the face of God as much as we seek his hand. And this is the third part in here. Take a look at this, and I'll explain it a little bit more in just a minute. The third part in this is we want to live by his power every day by seeking his hand. In the very next verse, verse 20, it says, Now to him, to God, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. What's he saying? He's saying you have no idea how powerful God is. But he says what I want you to do is seek that power. Ask God for it. Now, to God, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. So he's saying this, ask me, imagine it. And so in the morning when we get up and we start our day with, with Jesus, help me. Are you actually starting with Jesus? I first want to know you. Because we don't, we don't want to use him. We don't want him to be our divine Coke machine. We're like, hey, I'm putting in a couple prayers. Hope you put out something good today, Jesus. Jesus, help me. First and foremost, I want to know you. So we seek his face. And then we seek his hand. Now, we're really good at seeking his hand, right? Because it's like the Jesus, Jesus wish list. This is longer than our Amazon wish list. Jesus, thank you for today. We love you. And I pray that you would uh, give us a great day, really bless us, help my marriage, my kids, uh, and the thing at work, and our economy, like my finances, God. We're really good at seeking his hand, right? Come on, am I alone? We ask him for stuff, and you should. But if we're going to bring glory to him, we first got to seek his face, and then we seek his hand. Here's the last thing. This is how Paul finishes this section, this prayer for this church. He says to him, to God, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. It's a non-negotiable that Christians live for the glory of God and not their own glory. But here's what's amazing about God. He says, when you live for my glory you'll actually find your life. You want to put to death your old life? You're going to find a brand new life in me when you seek first me. You want to live a life that is amazing and glorious and satisfying, that's filled with adventure and meaning and purpose, more than a good job, more than kids that obey. Focus on the glory of God. He says, I'll I'll work with you on the rest of it. It doesn't mean our lives will always be easy, but I think the bottom line question is like Johann Sebastian Bach, is our intention to sign off each day with the initials SDG, solely for the glory of God. If you looked at your calendar this week and you looked at all the appointments you have, right? All your meetings at work. Maybe there's a dinner on there with somebody. Maybe there's a conflict resolution that's going to happen this week and that's on your schedule. Maybe it's vacation. What if at every appointment that you had this week, you just kept asking this question, Jesus, help me and show me how I can give you glory and glory alone. Because the truth is this, super easy to live like everybody else in the world. And you can live for your own glory 
and hope that one day maybe you'll be influential enough to lead people to Jesus. Or maybe one day when you're good enough, maybe you can live for God's glory. And the reality and the truth is this, every person who calls themselves a Christian, if you're a true believer, we get to live for the glory of God today. It is not easy. It happens with intention. So my goal is this, that you might live in the glory of God, meaning in his presence every day. That you might live through the glory of God, through his power every day. So that your life might actually be for the glory of God every day. To live for God's glory, I think it begins each day by saying, Jesus, help me. So that we end each day by saying, to the glory of God alone. I don't know where you're at or what you're actually living for right now or how much stress you're living under. I just know this. If you're the first priority in your life, it will never be enough. And it will never satisfy enough until we start saying, I'm going to live for God's glory. I'm going to seek his kingdom with everything I have and trust that all these things will be added to me as well. If you agree with that, would you say amen? Let's pray. Um, Let's bow our heads, just close our eyes for a moment. Um, I know there's probably some of you that you have situations going in your, on in your life right now that are difficult, and there might even be suffering happening. And you might be thinking, you know what, Pastor, I'm mad at this message. Because I feel like the stuff going on in my life is so big, why wouldn't God care about it? Why should I live for his glory when I'm struggling? And I, I just want to tell you this, that he loves you and he's with you right now. He's given you a church that sits in this room and wants to journey with you in, in the midst of that suffering. But I know that there's some of you that are sitting in this room that you have not been living for God's glory. You've been living for your own glory. So can I invite you today to just pray your own prayer? You put it in your own words that God, today, from this day forward, I'm going to start my days by saying, Jesus, help me. By seeking his face. And then seeking his hand. By saying yes to the mission and my eyes will be on how do I help other people find Jesus. Maybe today is the day you're going to make a shift to say, God, help me to live for your glory. And be intentional about it. I think there's a second group of people in this room today that you've never crossed the line of faith. You've never been, become a Christian. You've never said yes to the forgiveness that Jesus offered because of his death. And maybe today you need to say yes to that. I would say this. You pray your own prayer on that. Put it in your own words, honest, heartfelt. Jesus, forgive me. I don't want to live for me anymore. I want to live for you. You died on that cross for me. You suffered for me. And I accept that gift of forgiveness and relationship with you. You put that in your own words as we pray. So let's all collectively come before Christ right now and give him glory and let's pray. So God, I thank you for your generous love for us. God, the truth is we sometimes put ourselves at the center of our world, but we confess this today. We want to know you more and more so that we can walk into a life that brings you glory. Lord, somehow I would pray that this just would not be another Sunday for us, but a day where you meet us in a fresh way. We declare that we want to bring you glory, but we need your help, Jesus. So as we sing, 
God, would you bring conviction? Would you bring commitment? Would you meet us in a special way so that we truly can live for your glory? And if you want that, would you respond by saying, amen.